Amen. Thank you, choir, for sharing such a beautiful song with us this morning. And uh, as we begin our time of study together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that your word is the truth that we need, Lord, that your word speaks to us. As we study it today, Lord, I pray that it would again speak to us, that you would work through the words of Paul and through my own words, that we might uh, know you more and walk in faithfulness to you as we put on the armor of God and fight against the spiritual realm in an effort to bring glory to you and to see your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray for strength for myself that I might speak clearly and uh, say the words that you would give me and take away those words that would distract or lead astray. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 again today, and uh, we're actually going to take a a wider swath of Ephesians 6. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been just looking at a few verses starting in verse 10 of chapter 6, but we're going to take the the whole uh, passage on the armor of God today as we finally get down to what this armor is that we use to fight in this spiritual war that God has called us to fight in. And as we've already seen, there is a spiritual war that is, at, 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 that is raging even now uh, in the heavenly places and is waging, uh, raging amongst uh, the, the humans of this world as Satan is uh, in an effort to take away the glory of God, to distract from the worship of God. And as God, through the proclamation of the gospel and the ministry of his word and through the presence of his people in this world, is taking back this world for his glory. And, you know, as I've been thinking through that, uh, that very thing is one of those uh, the, the idea of spiritual warfare or that there is this war that is raging in the spiritual realm. When you first talk about it, it seems really weird and really strange, you know, because we're we live in a secular age. We live in an age in which people think that all that really exists is the material world and that really all you do in this life is you work for 60, 65, 70 years and then you retire and then you eventually you you die and, and you're no more. And that's all there is to life. That all the, That's all that life could ever mean. And then you start talking about the fact that there's a spiritual realm and there's a greater reality to everything and the fact that the world is moving towards something And it seems strange, but if you just take a step back and pay attention to the way people talk, even people that don't believe in God, the way that they talk, you realize everybody recognizes that there is something greater that is happening in this world. There is something more than just our daily lives that is going on in this world. You see it if, you, if you've paid attention to the news over the past year or two. You see it in, in the fact that um, there's a regular discussion about conspiracy theories now. Y'all have seen 
the news and how every so often the news likes to expose one conspiracy theory or another, whether it's conspiracy theories over the vaccine and the, and the, um, and the virus or whether it's conspiracy theories over what happened with the election. You see it all the time with people uh, believing in and promoting certain conspiracy theories on Facebook or the news or wherever it might be. Um, and an interesting study that I saw just recently says that regardless of religion, regardless of political standing, Democrat and Republican in our society, over 80% of Americans believe that there is a, uh, an underlying power at work in our society to bring about purposes against either against the will of the people or against the, the will of God in our society. Whether you're a liberal or conservative, you, 80% of the people in our country believe that there is a force at work in this world that works against the, the powers that be or works with the powers that be. I was reading an article just this morning as I was um, uh, getting ready for church that said that there is a an ancient manuscript written back in the 1400s, back during the the um, the medieval period, called uh, and I'm sorry if I don't say this right, but it's called the Voynich manuscript. And what's strange about this book is that it is written in a language that nobody knows, and it is it has drawings of flowers and animals and all sorts of things that aren't recognized. Nobody knows what they are. It's almost like an alien book got dropped on our earth in the 1400s because nobody recognizes what's going on or what's said. The greatest linguist in our in our world, the greatest botanist in our world don't recognize what's going on in this book. And so a lot of people have developed conspiracies around this book to say that this is evidence of an alien culture that is uh, at work in our world and at work in our society to uh, bring about nefarious ends and to bring about the, the, the destruction of the world. And what's fascinating about all these conspiracies and all the strange beliefs that we have as a society about what's going on under the curtain or behind the curtain, under, under the table and all that, is that we know that there is a force at work in this world, but we fail to recognize what it really is. And the truth is, there is a grand conspiracy. There is a real power at work against the good God of this universe. And that real conspiracy is the work of Satan and his demons to bring about their ends, which is to take away from the worship of the one true God and to glorify themselves over the one true God. So we've talked about how this fight is raging in our World and how we should resist it. We've talked about how we are called as Christians to fight against this uh, power that is at work and how we as brothers and sisters in Christ are locked together on a battlefield taking one step and another against the, the, the um, evil forces that are at work against God. So finally, we come down to the weapons that God has given us for this fight. 
And for that, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, as we come to understand the weapons that God has given us to fight against Satan. So follow along with me as we, I read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. God's word says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." So as we look at the weapons of the warfare, as we look at these weapons or this armor that God has given us to fight in this spiritual battle that he has called us to fight, I want you to understand this morning, uh, this passage from two points. First of all, we want to look at the power of the armor and secondly, the pieces of the armor. So first, let's understand or consider the power of the armor from verse 13. And there are three aspects of the power of the armor of God that I want you to see from this one verse. The most important of these aspects is the fact that the armor of God, and this sounds silly to point this out, but the armor of God, notice it says, is the armor of God. It is not the armor of Antioch West Baptist Church. It is not the armor of Nathan Skipper and his preaching. It is the armor given to us by God. Now, this is vital for us to understand. It's vital for us to understand that God does not call us to fight in this spiritual warfare through our own might or our own resources. He does not call us to raise our Christian families in the admonition of the world by turning to worldly wisdom and our own understanding. He does not call us to live as a Christian witness in this world by just simply using the tactics and the methods of this world for our own ends and for in under our own effort. He calls us to use the armor that he has provided. It is God who gives us the armor for this warfare. This also means that this armor that we have, not only is it given to us by God, but it has the power of God. 
So this is counterintuitive to think that when we fight Satan, when Satan tempts us with a challenge to our faith, the best answer is not to turn to the books and start studying for good scientific arguments. And the answer is not to study up better on logic and how to argue against Satan's challenge to our faith. The best answer rests with the armor that God has given us. The second aspect of the power of this armor is that this armor uh, is that it is armor that has been worn by another. The armor that we put on to resist the attacks of Satan have been worn by someone else before. And they have, by virtue of who wore them, been given the power of that warrior. There's a striking similarity between the armor of the Messiah and the armor that Paul refers to here. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will, quote, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2 says that the Messiah's mouth will be like a sharp, double-edged sword. And then fast forward to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. John sees a vision of Jesus Christ. And in that vision, John says that his mouth, out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. So the armor that we wear comes to us through the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, everything about this armor is dependent on the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal the truth to us. It says in John chapter 1 that He is the Word of God, that He reveals exactly who God is. He came to give us His righteousness so that when we receive uh, Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He came to bring us the good news of salvation. Jesus, the very first line of the book of Mark says the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Jesus came to bring us the good news of salvation. He came to establish us in the faith. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse six says that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And to uh, and he came to speak the very word of God to us. He was the very word of God and he brought the very word of God to us. The third aspect of the power of this armor is that we must take it up. Notice again, verse 13 there it says, Paul calls us to take up the whole armor of God. Now that phrase, take up, is actually a military command that the Romans would give to their soldiers when it was time to put their armor on. So this was a military command, much like mount up or, or whatever uh, military command you might have heard in the past, but it was a military command given by a captain to his soldiers that they were to start getting ready for battle. So what I want you to notice in what Paul says here is that the armor of God is from God, is endowed with the power of God, and it is uh, given the power of the Messiah himself, Jesus Christ, 
But it is no good to us if we don't take it up. If we instead say, you know what, I'm going to live this life under my own power. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to raise my kids my own way. I'm going to uh, witness in my own way. I'm going to live the moral life in my own way. If we think that we're going to do anything under our own power, then we are not taking up the armor of God. If we are not praying before we go to witness, we are not taking up the armor of God. If we are not reading God's word faithfully in, in seeking to live in righteousness and obedience to it, we are not taking up the armor of God. You must decide day in and day out to pick up this armor and to wear it. You must turn time and again to, the, to what Jesus Christ has done and to remind yourself of what you, who you are in Him and to remind yourself of the power that God has given you through His Holy Spirit if you are going to fight this spiritual warfare that God has called you to fight. So with that power of the armor in mind, let's consider next the pieces of the armor. So Paul gives six different pieces of armor that God has given us. Now, five of these pieces of armor are defensive, and there is only one piece of armor that God gives us that is offensive. So first, Paul says that we have to fasten on the belt of truth. Now, for the Roman soldier, the belt was kind of the unifying piece of their armor. The belt was not just a belt like we wear today, but it was a belt with a skirt on it, a leather skirt on it. And it was intended to protect the soldier's leg so that when a sword was being slashed at him or a, a spear was being thrusted at him, that he would, his legs would not be vulnerable to that attack, but he would still be mobile and able to respond and, and react as he needed to. And the belt also... Uh, joined all of the armor together. So what they would do is they would take their breastplate and they would tuck it under the belt so that it would keep their breastplate from flying up or falling off. And it also served as kind of a holster for their sword and for any other weapons that they were going to use. So this belt that Paul is referring to was a unifying element of the soldier's uniform. And in the same way, the truth that has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ is a unifying aspect of our lives. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, our lives do not make any sense. I've heard some of you say it before and I've said it before. I do not understand how someone who does not believe in God, does not believe in Jesus Christ, can go through this life with any sense of hope, or normalcy, or sense of direction. I don't understand how someone can persevere through trial or tribulation, through COVID and the pandemic, through the death of a loved one, and through all that this world throws at them without the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, binds our lives together and it makes everything make sense. So it makes sense uh, to go to work, not because we just need to make money, but because our work brings glory to God. It makes sense 
to remain faithfully married to our spouses because our marriages have a higher purpose, because they picture Christ and His church. It makes sense to raise our children and to be faithful to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord because as Psalm 127 says, we're sending them out like arrows. We are changing culture through faithfully raising our family. Everything about our lives makes sense because of the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done. Our work within the church makes sense and it matters because it builds up the people of God. The truth revealed through Jesus means that all of life now makes sense. Next, we find the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was made out of layers of leather and thick cloth. So it wasn't a metal breastplate as we often see on the movies. It was actually a hardened, you know, um, uh, rawhide leather and cloth, a really thick cloth that was used to make this breastplate. And it was obviously, if you're wearing a breastplate, the intention of that is to protect your body against a fatal blow. All of your vitals, your your uh, liver, your kidneys, your, your, um, your heart, your lungs, all of that is protected by this breastplate. And Paul compares righteousness to this breastplate that pr- protects the vitals of a body. Now, there's a lot of debate over what Paul means by righteousness here. Is he talking about our own personal righteousness as in, When we live a faithful Christian life, we're protected from the attacks of Satan. Or is he talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Now, based on everything else I've already said, that this is the armor of God and that it is empowered by the fact that Jesus wore this armor first, I believe that what Paul is referring to here is the righteousness of Christ that protects us from the blow of Satan. Jesus... In His life, His death, and His resurrection, He gave us His righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, understand that there is no accusation of Satan that, can, that Satan can level against you that will bring judgment on your life if you are in Christ. There is no charge that he can bring that God would change, that would make God change his mind. God has given you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and b- before God, you are considered righteous, righteous. So there is nothing that Satan can say about you Number one, that God doesn't already know, but number one, that has, uh, number two, that has already, hasn't already been forgiven by Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. And there is nothing that Satan can do to bring judgment on you because of your sin. You are right with God through the righteousness of Jesus. In Christ, you wear the righteousness of, of Christ like a breastplate. Jesus has given you His righteousness and Satan cannot harm you because of it. Third, Paul says that we should put on shoes, the shoes of the readiness 
given by the gospel. Now, the Romans were pretty inventive with their shoes that their soldiers wore. They wore sandals, but these sandals had nails driven through them so that the uh, soldiers, basically like a cleat, could stand, remember, in this phalanx that created this human spear. And so, obviously, if you're going to fight a war based on how well you resist the enemy and you're going to fight a war based on how well you hold a shield and resist cavalry and spears and all of that, then you need need your feet to be planted. You need to be able to resist from all the way from your feet to your shoulders. And so Paul says that this shoe is a metaphor for the readiness that comes through believing the gospel. In other words... We are able to stand as Christians on the certainty that the gospel gives us. The reason we are able to do the good deeds that we are called to do in our community, the reason that we can live righteously before a watchful world, the reason that we can give sacrificially and share the gospel boldly is because of the certainty we have through the gospel. We know In spite of what the world may tell us, we know that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that means that one day we will too. Even though this world may spin out of control and it seems like nothing is going right and and we can't seem to find a good leader that would lead us out of the mire that we're in, yet we know that God will make all things right through the resurrection of His Son and our final resurrection as well. We know that Jesus will return in all of His glory and that on that day He will make all things right. And because we know those things, we can stand. We can stand and resist the attacks of Satan. We can stand and live the faithful Christian life. And we can do it all for the glory of God. Fourthly, Paul calls us to take, on, take up the shield of faith. Now, as I explained last week, the Roman shield was an actual full body shield that the Roman soldiers would lock together in this phalanx that they would use in an attack on the battlefield. And this shield was actually a shield of wood that had a a piece of leather over the front of it, and then it was kind of trimmed in bronze. And what the Roman soldiers would do before battle is they would go and they would take their shields and they would put it into a trough of water. And they would let all that leather and wood soak up the, the water... And then when they went into battle, as the enemy would shoot fiery arrows at them, the shield would block the arrows from stabbing them or piercing them, and the wet wood and leather would quench the fiery arrows of their enemy. So Paul says that just like that wet, leathery, thick wood of a shield protects a Roman soldier against the attacks the fiery attacks of the enemy, so too our faith protects us from the fiery darts of Satan. When Satan causes us to doubt the hope of the gospel, we hold up our faith. And we say we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we hold to it until the doubt and the attack has been quenched. 
When we find a hostile atheist on YouTube or social media that's spouting off some argument against God, we rest in our faith and we allow the heat of his argument to be quenched by the hope of the gospel. The last defensive piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. Now, like the breastplate of righteousness, the salvation that Christ has given us, um, it shields our minds from the blows of the devil. So Satan loves to attack the mind. He will attack your minds through distraction by tempting you to, to be fascinated with and to be preoccupied with something that, is, uh, that you view as more important than the worship of the one true God. He attacks the mind through disinformation. He'll point us to false teachings and hope to lead us astray. He attacks the mind through delusion, polluting our minds with the temptations and worldly habits so that we lose sight of our calling. The answer to these attacks is to remember our salvation. To remember that we were purchased with a price the blood of the very Son of God, and that we are now servants of that one true God. We should set our minds on the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us so that we will not be led astray. The last piece of armor is the one offensive weapon that we have been given. Paul says that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So simply put, we defeat Satan with our belief in and our use of Scripture. The Scriptures are repeatedly pictured as a weapon. So for example, one famous one is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that says that the word of the Lord is a double-edged sword. And Jesus shows us how to use this weapon. So when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness after not eating for 40 days and Satan comes to him to, to tempt him to turn bread, uh, turn rocks into bread, Jesus responds time and again with the Word of God. When Satan says, if you only will speak and turn this bre- this, these rocks into bread, and Jesus says, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Scripture is the way that we take the fight to Satan. And if the Son of God rested in the Word of God for His deliverance from Satan, so should we. If we want to deliver our neighbors and our friends and our family from the bondage of Satan, we must do it through the Word of God. Now this seems, again, as to be counterintuitive. Because we think that maybe we need to add a little attraction to it. Maybe we need to do something fun. Or maybe we need to do something creative to to draw people in and make people change their minds. But really, at the end of the day, it is not those attractive things, although they can be good and they can be useful. It's not the programs that we do. It's not the music that we play. It's not the presentation that we give, it is the Word of God that changes the hearts of those who hear it. And so, we should be dependent on the Word of God for our own lives 
And we should be dependent on the Word of God to change the lives of others. We should be ready. We should know the Word of God and we should be ready to speak it. So brothers and sisters, the armor of God is given for our protection and for our final victory over Satan. We must take it up daily and we must stand firm. In resisting the attacks of Satan, we hold ground against the enemies of God. In swinging the sword of the word of the God, we break down his defenses and strongholds so that people are delivered from darkness to light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God that is the weapon that you have given us for this fight against Satan. Lord, we thank you for the, the defensive armor that you have given us in faith and salvation and the truth of your gospel and all of the things that you have given us for deliverance from the attacks of Satan. Lord, may we take them up. May we not turn to other means thinking that uh, influence and power and politics and uh, worldly wisdom and all of the ways of this world can somehow give us a victory over Satan, but rather may we turn to the humble things of the gospel. May we turn to the ways of Christ for our deliverance from Satan. May we pray faithfully against the works of Satan. And may we speak boldly as we proclaim the gospel through the word of God and see people changed because of it. Father, bless us now as we respond to your gospel. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.